The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. This is the first day of our uh, January 2020 summer session. It's the 5th of January and we're going to be reading uh, at least for the first few days of the session from um, the collected works of Chinol translated and with an introduction by Robert E. Buswell Jr. Chinol is a um, great Korean master his dates um, let's see his dates are 1158 to 1210 so he just um, he's a little bit earlier than Master Dogen overlaps with him a little bit and today we're just going to be um, reviewing some um, biographical material about Master Chunol and then when, uh, to, into, from tomorrow we'll get into um, one of his teachings. He was a, a um, voluminous uh, writer, a very important figure within Korean Buddhism. Just a note before before we get into that, um, this book um, came out a while ago. It um, uses um, he as a sort of general pronoun pronoun all the way through, and so I'll be uh, sometimes changing that to she and sometimes to they where where appropriate, um, and also sometimes changing man to person and um, sometimes monk to student or disciple just to give us some more neutral terms and also um, usually we uh, change patriarch to ancestor so just to, just to avoid the um, always having the, ma the masculine referred to um, this book uses the um, Wade Giles romanization of Chinese, which is um, a little different from the one we're used to, the, we, the pinyin. Um, but I'll do my best to, to pronounce the, the names we know in a recognizable way. And if it's from the, if names are from the collections of koans that we um, study using the Japanese names then I'll I'll give those as an alternative if just in case um, it helps people to to identify who we're talking about and the Japanese names are often a bit more familiar to pizza people and um, known so we'll do our best with that okay so the life of Chinol First of all, Buswell um, gives a bit of um, context. Um, this little section is entitled Koryo Buddhism at the Time of Chinol. And Koryo is the name of the dynasty in which um, Chinol was born, and it goes from 937 to 1392. He says, in the middle of the Koryo dynasty, Buddhism was firmly entrenched in the political structure and social makeup of the kingdom. The Buddhist church wielded immense economic influence throughout the country, controlling vast tracts of tax-exempt paddy and forest lands, presiding over armies of serfs to work that land and possessing a fortune in precious metals cast as Buddhist images and artifacts. 
massive amounts of government funds were expended in building projects and the new capital of Kaesong itself became a thriving Buddhist metropolis. The monasteries were commercial centers in the rural regions of the country and were engaged in the distillation of spirits, noodle making and tea production. There's a parallel here with um, medieval monasteries in, within Christendom which often um, had commercial enterprises and even wine or liqueur making as part of their business. Um, it'll be interesting to know how how this was um, this distillation of spirits was was um, justified in light of uh, the precepts. The monks themselves enjoyed exemption from corvée labour and military obligations. Corvée labour was when um, people in the sort of general populace would be um, commandeered to go and work on uh, public construction projects of different kinds, uh, probably roads, dams, things like this, and, and most likely under pretty um, harsh conditions. And of course military ob obligations means being called up to fight. Monks were even brought into positions of secular power while remaining within the ecclesiastical ranks. A series of examinations modelled along the lines of the civil service tests enabled the conscientious student of either Son or the Calastic schools, so the schools based on sutras, um, to work his way to the very heights of the church hierarchy, making him eligible for appointment to the post of royal master, Wangsa, or national master, Kuksa, and placing him near the sources of secular authority. Almost inevitably, it was its very success which created the most problems for the church. Although the examination system for monks raised the general scholastic level of the Sangha as a whole, it emasculated the spiritual essence of Buddhism by bringing about a preoccupation with secular pursuits. Furthermore, officials in the, official, in the civil bureaucracy who recognized the influence of the church over the higher echelons of government also used the religion for private gain. Korean Buddhism of the 11th and 12th centuries was increasingly exploited by people both inside and outside the church. Now we're skipping around a bit just to pull out the essentials here. Um, the, the main point that Buswell makes in this section is that um, the, there was a growing corruption really in, in the Sangha and um, with that corruption the level of, of knowledge of the sutras um, declined as did the intensity of practice in, within the Son, the med meditation school. It also, uh, he also says that, that the Son school spread in this period um, from just mainly being found in remote mountain sites um, and so that it was then spread throughout the peninsula. But at the same time as it was spreading, it was growing weaker spiritually, ethically. He says it was during this period of severe de degeneration of the Sangha that Chinul, a devoted Son monk um, with pronounced sympathy for the doctrines of the scholastic sects, was born. We could, should say here, in case anybody hasn't guessed it already, the word Son is the Korean uh, version of Zen or Chan in Chinese. Chinul himself describes the corrupted motivations which had innovated the Sangha. 
When we examine the inclination of our conduct from dawn to dusk, we see that we rely on the Buddha Dharma while adorning ourselves with the signs of self and person. Infatuated with material welfare and submerged in secular concerns, we do not cultivate virtue but only waste food and clothing. Although we have left home, what merit does it have? How sad! We want to leave the triple world, but we do not practice freeing ourselves from objects. Um, the triple world um, refers to um, the three worlds of, of desire, of, of form and formlessness, three levels of existence. And we humans list, um, live in this, this um, the world of desire, the lowest realm. Our male body is used in vain, for we lack a man's will. From one standpoint we fail in the Dharma's propagation, from another we are negligent in benefiting sentient beings, and between these two we turn our backs on our four benefactors. This is indeed shameful. All this has made me lament since long ago. Um, the four benefactors um, are uh, the ruler, teachers, parents and friends. We actually um, refer to this, this when we do the, the meal chants. Um, we say something about na nations and all life. That that's comes from these, these, um, these four, four benefactors. And I think, I think it has its origins in uh, Confucianism, expressing our gratitude to these, uh, shapes our lives. So coming into this context, uh, Chinul um, f felt he needed to um, abandon his ties with the, the hierarchy and um, he was to become an exemplar for the Sangha um, in re-establishing a more um, spiritual orientation among it. Um, politically, it was a very unstable time in Korea. Just around the years when he was an, um, an adult, Chinol was an adult, there were um, uh, just years and years, nearly 30 years of great instability where one coup would be followed by another and to be followed by another still until eventually a more stable government was established. So that was the, the kind of uh, um, unrest that uh, was in, is in the background through these, um, what I'm going to relate um, further on here. Um, we can we can be grateful that we we live in a country that's that's uh, that's stable that we're not um, trying to practice in the midst of of civil war. I've heard I've actually heard Asian teachers um, when they come to New Zealand and experience New Zealand. Um, say, oh, this New Zealand is like a pure land, such wonderful conditions to practice. Uh, but if, ever, if anything, over, um, over the years, um, th these wonderful conditions have perhaps made us somewhat um, complacent. But I think recently, um, the last 10 or 15 years or so, the conditions have become a little bit harder for people. Um, life is very expensive, living living in Auckland especially, and and so we do face different kinds of obstacles. But um, it's good to be, to reflect on on uh, really what uh, good conditions we have here for practice.
According to his biographer, Kim Kunsu, Chinul was born in 1158 in the Tongju district to the west of the Koryo capital of Kaesong. Um, his lay surname was Chong and he was born into a family of the gentry class. His father, Chong Kwangu, was an administrator in the Royal Academy. From birth, the boy was of weak constitution and plagued by serious illnesses. After continued attempts to cure him through, the, through conventional medical therapy, his father, in desperation, decided to entreat the Buddha. He vowed that if his son was cured, he would have him ordained into the Buddhist order. Soon afterwards, the illnesses are supposed to have vanished, and in keeping with his vow, Kwangu's child had his head shaved at the age of seven and received the precepts at the age of 15. He was given the Buddhist name Chinol. Later, he referred to himself as Moguja, the ox herder. This um, comes from the um, ox herding pictures which depict our, our mind uh, true mind as being like an ox that, that is tamed by an ox herder. So he's, he's referring to that process in, his, in the name that he gives himself. This, um, this appealing to the Buddha when having a sick child, is not, I've heard this sto story told about other um, masters you can imagine that that the this the sufferings that that he had undergone may have been also a motivating factor from her for him in uh, having questions about birth and death Chinul's preceptor was Chong Hui, the son master at Kulsansa on Sagulsan, that's Sagul Mountain, one of the sites of the Nine Mountain sect of Korean Son. The young monk's relationship with his preceptor does not seem to have been especially close, for his biographer states that he never had a permanent teacher. Chinul's intellect and his natural inclination towards solitude and retreat had been noticeable since his youth. With the fractious climate of the church in his days, he probably felt more comfortable learning to get along on his own considerable talents in seclusion. From early on in his vocation, Chinul made up for the lack of personal instruction by drawing inspiration from the scriptures. In the spirit of self-reliance that is central to Buddhism, he took responsibility for his own spiritual development and followed the path of practice outlined in the scriptures and confirmed through his own son meditation. Chinul's progress in Buddha's practice was therefore based on using scriptural instructions to perfect formal son practice. This accommodating attitude toward the written teachings, unusual for son students in his time, and his simultaneous study of both sutras and meditation contrasted sharply with the strong sectarian climate of his age and anticipated the future trend of his thoughts. Um, this uh, solo practice can be, can be a wonderful way to practice if, you, if we're ready to do it. Usually it comes um, towards the end of, of practice after years of, of training with others but for exceptional people such as Ch Chinul um, he was able to, to find guidance uh, through his um, study of the sutras. He saw that he, he plumbed the depths of the sutras for their 
for their practical instructions, the practical instructions that were embedded in the, um, the texts. And as Buswell says, this was very unusual for the time when there was very strong divisions between those who studied and those who meditated, generally. After nine years at his home monastery, in 1182, Chinul travelled to Pojesar in the capital to take the Son Sangha examinations. Although he passed his tests, he apparently became disgusted with the worldly climate surrounding them. His interest in joining the ecclesiastical hierarchy dampened, if, if he ever had any, um, and he aired his views about the corrupted state of the Sangha and the need to return to the proper pursuits of the monk's life. He seems to have struck a responsive chord among at least a few of his fellow addicts. Together they decided to gather at some future date to form a retreat society dedicated to the development of Samadhi and Prajna. Now these two terms um, are absolutely central to Buddhist teaching, um, two of the essential aspects of the path along with Shila or um, ethics. Uh, samadhi um, usually uh, translated as, as uh, concentration or mental absorption and it, it really f refers to um, developing uh, complete one-pointed attention on our practice whether it's the breath or the koan or something else awareness of the body And prajna means wisdom, and in Zen particularly, um, transcendent wisdom, the wisdom that, that flows from uh, a direct experience of um, emptiness. We have on our altar the figure of Manjushri Bodhisattva. Uh, he's the... Um, Bodhisattva who embodies prajna wisdom and he has in one hand he has uh, a sutra book and in the other hand uh, a, a sword which is the, the delusion cutting sword the sword that cuts away uh, obstructions and delusions and he's sitting on a lion, so the the always in um, iconography in um, different religions the the mount uh, of a, a god or bodhisattva tells us more about the nature of the the one who rides it. Um, so a lion as king of the beasts the um, fierce, powerful cre creature. Um, so we can understand this, this prajna wisdom, this transcendent wisdom as, as having these qualities of uh, fierce, um, uncompromising uh, energy. Um, and these two, Samadhi and Prajna, of course, are um, intimately related to each other. Um, one saying about them is, um, Samadhi is the essence of Prajna, and Prajna is the function of Samadhi. So Chinul talks about this, um, this coming together 
um, to form a retreat society in one of his early works called Encouragement to Practice. He says, one day I made a pact with more than 10 fellow meditators, which said, after the close of this convocation, we will renounce fame and profit and remain in seclusion in the mountain forests. We will form a community designed to foster constant training in Samadhi and Prajna through worship of the Buddha, recitation of sutras, and even through common work, we will each discharge the duties to which we are assigned and nourish the self-nature in all situations. We vow to pass our whole lives free of entanglements and to follow the higher pursuits of accomplished and true men. Would this not be wonderful? He says here, um, we will each discharge our duties to which we are assigned and nourish the self-nature in all situations. That's a pretty good description of um, what's asked of us in Sishin. Try and do everything in Sishin that will uh, nourish the self-nature allow it to come forth and not just not just in ourselves but in the Sishin as a whole we could we could vow to pass the Sishin the whole of the Sishin free of entanglements In one sense, as as uh, non-homelevers, not we're not monks. Um, we do have entanglements, and and so we we our way of practicing is to um, accept and see into those entanglements as much as we can. Although those present who had heard these words agreed with what was said and vowed, on another day we will consummate this agreement, live in seclusion in the forest and be bound together as a community which should be named for Samadhi and Prajna. Living in seclusion in the forest. This is something that goes back all the way to the time of the Buddha. The, the the monks and nuns that that were disciples, direct disciples of the Buddha, and the Buddha himself practiced in the forest. And this has been the case in in um, Buddhist countries everywhere. The forest is seen as a place um, that is very conducive to practicing, to emptying the mind, to to untangling ourselves. Think of an example of Thailand, where um, monks would would wander throughout the countryside and uh, beg for food from lay people, and and set up to practice um, in 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 clearings in the forest. Lay people would build, build them little huts, and then they would um, practice there together. Uh, I've heard um, Thai monks um, mourn the fact that actually these days there's this less and less forest to practice in.
Before Chinul could form his community, however, difficulties were encountered in the selection of the site and the attestants were scattered among many different monasteries. Although we have no indication what these problems might have been, it seems reasonable to surmise that they were political in nature, resulting from the anti-hierarchical sentiments implicit in the compact. Many monasteries would have been reluctant to harbour a community which seemed to threaten the power of the central ecclesiastical authorities. During this period of successive military coups, the countryside was in a state of turmoil and a series of, pleasant, of, of peasant and slave result, re, revolts had shattered any sense of local security, another deterrent to the assembly of the monks from around the country at an isolated rural or wilderness site. It was to be eight years before the monks saw the establishment of the Samadhi and Prajna community. Eight years. It's, it's um, worth, worth just reflecting on the, the, the strength of the vow that the, the monks must have had if they were to keep that, that intention going over such a long period of, of difficulties and obstructions. Faced with the delay in the formation of the proposed Samadhi and Prajna community, Chinul decided to leave the capital, travelling down the Korean peninsula. He finally set down his walking staff at Chongwonsa in Changpyong in the far southwest. And my apologies to, if there are any Koreans who are listening to the recordings of these talks, my apologies for. Um, mangling the, the Korean na names. Unfortunately, there isn't any kind of um, pronunciation guide in this, in this text. This um, area which he went to in the far southwest was um, where the ancient uh, Paikche kingdom was. Um, Boswell says, Chinul's reason for travelling to this area of Korea becomes clear when we consider that it was the focus of flourishing trade relationships with the southern Song dynasty. Hence, by moving to the southwest, Chinul had placed himself in the best possible location for getting first-hand information about Song Buddhism. This, um, uh, Song Dynasty Buddhism um, was the time when the, the the teachings of the Tang, the earlier Tang period, were were systemized and and um, codified. While Chinul was staying at Chongwonsa. He had the first of a series of three awakenings which profoundly affected his attitude toward Buddhist cultivation. As his memorial stele relates, and, and before I get into that part of the text, a stele is um, a large stone slab um, with an inscription on it, and it was traditional um, when commemorating masters to to create these slabs. If you go to China, you can see many of them. So this, this is, comes from Chinul's memorial stele. By chance, one day in the study hall, as he was looking through the platform sutra of the sixth patriarch, this is um, his sixth ancestor, Huaynang, it's the only um, text that's considered to be that's um, considered to be part of the, the the canon, along with all the the sutras that were the words of the Buddha. This this um, this Huaynang's um, 
teachings as held in such high esteem that they are classed to be as a sutra. He came to a passage which said, The self-nature of suchness gives rise to thoughts, but even though the six sense faculties see, hear, sense and know, it is not tainted by the myriads of images. The, the true nature is constantly free and self-reliant. So we, we experience everything, all the, the um, sensations and, and uh, images and um, smells and, and all of this um, arises out of, out of our self-nature and yet our self-nature is not in any sense um, tainted, disturbed fundamentally by all these, these um, images and, and sense experiences. Sometimes the image is used of, of um, things being reflected in the mirror, but a, the mirror itself is, is not in any way disturbed by those reflections. Astonished, he was overjoyed at gaining what he had never experienced before, just from reading these lines. And getting up, he walked around the hall, reflecting on the passage while continuing to recite it. His heart was satisfied. From that time on, his mind was averse to fame and profit. He desired only to dwell in seclusion in the mountain ravines. Bearing hardship joyfully, he aspired to the path. He was obsessed with this quest. Of course, the Hui Nung himself, the sixth ancestor, uh, came to awakening on hearing this, the Diamond Sutra being chanted. So, um, for for Chinul to have a Kensho experience while um, reading is not not so surprising. And of course, it's all in how we read something not just for to acquire knowledge, but really with this mind of, of searching for uh, the, the truth, deep truth. So once he has this experience, then we're told that um, he, he only wanted to, to dwell in seclusion, to, to deepen his understanding. And uh, this is this is the, what we can um, what, what changes when we experience a, a kensho, uh, that we can come from that experience clearer and more, and have a more focused aspiration. Which is, which is reinforced by the faith that arises out of direct experience. This experience was Chinul's true initiation into Buddhism. In all his future writings, Chinul would stress the need for an initial, an initial awakening to mind nature to ensure the consistent development of practice. Subsequent readings of the Platform Sutra, as well as the influence of Tsungmi's writings, spelled out the need to support the initial awakening to mind nature with the simultaneous cultivation of samadhi and prajna, and the concurrent development of alertness and calmness of mind. We could associate um, the the alertness that we develop with the prajna aspect of our practice and the calmness of mind with the samadhi aspect of practice. These are um, uh, really different 
two different ways of talking about the same thing. In 1185, Chunul again took up his staff and set off in search of a new environment in which to further his practice. In the autumn of that year, he finally settled at Pomunsa on Haga Mountain in southeastern Korea. Chinul seems to have been particularly concerned at that time with the continued split between the Son and scholastic schools, which was destroying the integrity of the Sangha. Taking as an example his own develop in Buddhism, development in Buddhism, in which Son practice was complemented with insights gleaned from the scriptures, Chinul became convinced that the discrepancies between the two streams of thought could be reconciled. Although his primary focus so far had been on the special transmission of Son, he was positive that the Son approach could be confirmed in the sutras. If he could find the evidence, the validity of both Son and the scriptures would then be verified. So um, he goes on, so he searched diligently through, through the scriptures, with it, through his reading of, of the sutras, and then he, he found the textual passage that for him was to confirm um, his, his approach. And he relates this himself. As I began living in retreat on Haga Mountain, I reflected constantly on the Son adage, mind is Buddha. And this, is, this comes up in, in quite a few of the, of the koans, the teaching stories. Mind is Buddha. This very mind is Buddha. The mind that's hearing these words is Buddha. I felt that if a person were not fortunate enough to meet with this approach, he would end up wasting many kalpas in vain and would never reach the domain of sanctity. A kalpa is an eon. And the domain of sanctity is just a way of talking about deep enlightenment. I had always had doubts about the approach to entering into awakening in the Hua Om teachings. What finally did it involve? The Hua Om teachings are, um, in Chinese, Hua Yin Buddhism, or in Japanese, Kigon. And they're the teachings that come out of the, the Avatamska Sutra. So he had doubts about these teachings, so he went to a Hua Om lecturer and asked him about this. And the Hua Om teacher said, you must contemplate the unimpeded interpenetration of all phenomena. This is the central teaching of the Huayan school um, depicted in the, um, the image, the analogy of Indra's net. Imagine the, the whole universe as a, as a great uh, three-dimensional net and at every intersection in that net there is a jewel and if you look into the jewel, any jewel in any part of the net, you can see the reflections of all the neighboring jewels in that one. But of course, in, in the depths of each of those reflections are the reflections of the neighboring jewels to that one and so forth. So in fact, in any, look deeply into any atom in the universe 
and you discover every single atom in the universe. So that's the that's the essential teaching of um, the Avatamska Sutra. So this is this is what um, naturally the the um, Huayin teacher expounds. But then he entreats Chunol further. If you merely contemplate your own mind and do not contemplate the unimpeded interfusion of all phenomena, you will never gain the perfect qualities of the fruition of Buddhahood. So he seems to be saying that the Huayan teaching is something else other than than Son tradition, which puts the emphasis on um, awakening to the nature of the mind. Mind is Buddha. I did not answer, but thought silently to myself, if you use the mind to contemplate phenomena, those phenomena will become impediments, and you will have endlessly and needlessly disturbed your own mind. When will there ever be an end to this situation? But if the mind is brightened and your wisdom purified, then one hair and all the universe will be interfused, for there is perforce nothing which is outside the mind. I then retired into the mountains and sat reading through the Tripitaka, that's the, um, the whole collection of all the sutras, in search of uh, uh, and the shastras and the, and the precepts. So he takes the whole of the, the Buddhist um, canon and searches through looking for a passage that would confirm his his understanding of the mind doctrine of the Son school. Searching, searching, searching. Three winters and summers passed before I came upon the simile about one dust mote containing thousands of volumes of sutras. And in the appearance of the Tathagata's chapter of the Avatamska Sutra, sorry, that in the appearance of the Tathagata's chapter, so that's where this quote was. Later in the same passage, the summation said, the wisdom of the Tathagata's is just like this. It is complete in the bodies of all sentient beings. It is merely all these ordinary foolish people who are not aware of it and do not recognize it. Um, the Tathagatas are the Buddhas, the thus come ones. So he's, he's, he reads that um, the wisdom of the Buddhas is complete in the bodies of every sentient being. It's just that we don't recognize this. This is, this is a um, problem, problem we have as human beings. But reading this, um, for Chinral, it confirmed his um, faith in looking into the mind as being the as being this the central practice. He says, "I put the sutra volume on my head in reverence, and unwittingly began to weep." However, as I was still unclear about the initial access of faith which was appropriate for ordinary people of today, I reread the elder Li Tung Swan's explanation of the first level of the Ten Faiths in his exposition of the Avatamska Sutra. First, he realizes that his own body and mind are originally the Dharmadhatu because they are immaculate, pure, and untainted. Um, the Dharmadhatu. Um, the Dharmadhatu is, is, um, translates literally as the realm of reality realm of Dharma 
and it's the highest principle in the Huayin school, the, the school that, that Chinle is discussing at this point and its relationship to, to Zen, to Son. So it's seen the Dharma Dhatu, the, 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 um, the realm of reality is seen as, seen as the, the essence in Avatamska Sutra. Encompassing really both um, uh, inner reality and and uh, objective reality, not two. Second, he realizes that the discriminative nature of his own body and mind is originally free from the subject-object dichotomy and is originally the Buddha of unmoving wisdom. He realizes this. This is the point we can we can take in this this the teaching of of the 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 um, oneness of subject and object, but that's a very different thing from from actually experiencing it for ourselves. Third, he realizes that his own mind's sublime wisdom, which can distinguish the genuine from the distorted, is Manjushri. There is no Manjushri outside of us. None of the Buddhas or Bodhisattvas exist outside of this, this mind of ours. We don't have to go anywhere or get anything. All the riches of the universe, every every atom of it, of all universes, are present right here now. This is this is the teaching of the Huayin school, the Avatamska Sutra, and it's the teaching of Zen. Our time is up, we'll stop now and we'll finish this biography off tomorrow. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.